Hey guys, welcome to episode 250. That feels significant, right? Um, of the JV Club with my wonderful guest, uh, my friend and colleague, Evan Schletter. I am so delighted that he was able to do the podcast. Uh, I wanted to get a few shout outs out there. Um, I wanted to thank Dan, Kate, Amanda, Joseph, uh, Joshua for your emails. Um, and I also wanted to let you know that at the end of this episode, after uh, we wrap up with Eben, stick around because I am playing one of Suzanne Santo's new songs. She is, of course, a friend of me, a friend of the podcast. Uh, her band, Honey Honey, has been on the podcast, uh, as has she herself when we talked about her teenage years. Um, if you haven't checked out those episodes, I strongly encourage you to do so. And her new album, Ruby Red, is going to be released August 11th. And the song that we're going to play at the end of the podcast is called Ghost in My Bed. I love her. I uh, love supporting her. And I know you will feel the same. So uh, enjoy the episode with Eben. Enjoy the bonus song of Suzanne's. And guys, just keep having a great summer, will ya? Now entering... Nerdist.com kick things off is that I love that we both just crammed several apologies in uh, before we even started recording. Like, listen, I'm really tired. No, I'm really tired. Well, I'm going to be all over the place. Well, I really am going to be all over the place. Well, okay. We'll see who's more all over the other. It's going to be good. I'm with you. I apologize. Disclaimers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're ready to be loopy as all get out. But I already am worst non sequitur float. Oh, wait, what were we talking about person anyway oh, on this podcast? So <laughs> it might be. Yeah, right at home yeah this that. might be your most if you can just it, maybe. Oh, hold am I like this? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Okay. Uh, maybe if that's cool. Um, uh, yeah, I uh, the, this might this might laser focus you in a, in a weird way. It might be like the reverse <laughs> thing happens like we were just joking about with. That whatever the the highest expectation thing is is like well you think that that would totally derail you but instead for some right. reason it's gonna have like a weird black hole effect that sucks in all of your attention and you'll have to keep me in line we'll see <laughs> we'll oh out. we'll see yes. <laughs> you don't have to take your hat off because oh. you're not wearing headphones yes and I'm not the person who feels a hat should be taken off inside but that is sort of a old fashioned I guess it is people I... still have that I think my dad still has that oh. from being a high school teacher I think he like made like kids like seniors take their baseball caps off when they came into class and I sit down I hadn't realized you know my whole hat wearing thing just kind of you know my wife would start getting me hats and here I'm actually going to take it off because it's <gasps> actually comfortable he took it the off the hat is off <laughs> Um, as Janet can see, I have no skull, and my brain is now exposed, and it's totally that's, disgusting. This is that's shocking. I, I can't believe you sprung it on me right out. now when we're recording. No, that's what it feels like, though, when I take it off sometimes. I'm sure. I feel like 
my head must be just gross. <laughs> I'm sure. Not, same with glasses too, right? I mean, you sort of feel, I feel a, a, a bareness. Like if I've been wearing sunglasses a bunch or when I never wore contacts and I just had glasses, I would feel so aware and exposed, even though people can still see. Yeah. It's, it's a weird like, still naked feeling glasses. when yeah. you get used to doing these things. And so she started buying you hats and that, then it did become the thing that feeds on itself. Like everyone yeah, thinks you. Yeah. That's just sort of, and the hats and glasses for me, what's weird is, you know, I didn't have glasses for a long time um i vividly remember the first time i brought glasses to like a paul f Tompkins show yeah and paul was i know he made a we, we were on stage and he made a joke about how i don't really need them he's doing it for fashion uh-huh. which actually wasn't true uh-huh. and <laughs> so he said he said take those off and i purposely played all crappy uh-huh. <laughs> but um what happened my dad's an optometrist and he oh. started sending me glasses okay and i'm like why are you sending me these you're at that age you're gonna need them Oh, what are you talking about? He psychically and professionally ruled that he must know. And um, And so for you, it was that you were farsighted. So you started to need it more to read read up close. I I still, would you believe, I still don't know whether it's far. I guess it is farsighted. Your dad's only an optometrist. It's great. There's a natural, you know, your eyes change at a certain age. I'm not going to say what age that is. But um, mine actually went way worse than they should have. He just thought I'd normally need just reading glasses. Right. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And so sure enough, there was that day where I'm looking at a CD liner note, you know, the little booklet with a teeny tiny print. I'm yeah. Like, Good God, the man's right. I need glasses. <laughs> so I started wearing the ones that he got, that he would send me. Um, and then my eyes just started slipping more and more. So hmm. it was weird because I had 20-20 vision, great vision my whole life. Isn't that funny? And, so and does, that, your da- does your dad have 20-20 vision or did he? Uh, no, he does not have perfect vision. I th- although I don't know how much it might have shifted... I don't think he had glasses when he was younger either. So I think I'm, uh, I don't remember him when I was a kid having glasses. Mm-hmm. So that started later too. When you have vision that's that good, and obviously if your dad is just taking the liberty of sending you glasses without you even having to report for duty at, yeah. uh, to get a test, does that, <laughs> like I've had to go to the optometrist yearly since I was a kid. Since like, I, I think I got uh, glasses when I was in seventh grade or something. So once you're in, once you're in the machine of needing yeah. them, you have to go in and, you know, get yes. them and get your eyesight checked. Were you, did you not get eyes exams? I barely do. Actually, I had my favorite exam because my parents don't live down here in LA. They yeah. live in the Bay Area. So um, when we'd go visit, he would take me in there and have the exam. But one time they came down here and he shows up with a little suitcase oh. with lenses in it. Oh. And these are antiques from the 1930s. Oh my gosh. And so first of all, I was like, okay, my dad's a badass. Yeah. If if the sh- can we swear in here? Yes, absolutely. If 100%. the shit comes down yeah. and we have no power grid, uh-huh. <laughs> he can still do an eye examination with old school lenses, no projectors, none of that. He, he literally had me look, we have a little sign by our door. Yeah. Um that says something. What does it even say? I'm so punchy. <laughs> it says something nice about have be have a nice life and have friends and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so it's like, <laughs> it's is not, that in have focus? a nice life like someone's dying? <laughs> it's not exactly have a nice life, it's, you or know, you're never going to see him again. Eat have well, nice do life. nice things to people. I don't know. And um, so <laughs> whatever it actually is is a major disappointment to me now. Like, after have a yeah. nice life and eat have well, a nice do life, nice right by things the door. to people. <laughs> yeah, to people. Do a nice thing to somebody, not with them. <laughs> Just to them. Here. Put them through I'm it. Throwing Put them money through at a you. really nice yeah. thing. Yeah. I don't know. Um, okay, so, so he, he had you, He yeah. had me focus on those, and he just did, the, you know, the same thing they yeah. normally do. How about this? How about that? But literally with these little handheld lenses. How about that? Um, that were super kind of cool looking. Yeah. You know, and they had that, the box itself had, you know, 
30s, everything looked better. You know, oh, everything charming. was designed. You yeah, know, you opened it know. up. It wasn't just functional. It was like deco or whatever. Yeah. And you're it's like, funny you would oh, say that because so I just cool. came back from Comic-Con on the train yesterday and walk, walk every time I walk through a Union Station, I feel myself saying, I can't control it. I feel myself saying like, they just don't make them like they used to. <laughs> It's so. I, do, I don't even know what I mean by that, but it true. happens to be deco, and it is. Everything is so ornate, and I guess, do you need like a you know, sixty foot cathedral wood beamed ceiling for a train station? I guess you don't. No, but well, it's ne- so beautiful. Well, it does get into a thing of, you know, anyone who's like a designer and and realizes the art of that. Yeah, it, it changes your outlook on the world mm-hmm. you, when you go to the train station and it looks like a cathedral and you're going to work and that's what you do every day your entire mindset towards the world is going to be different than if you go in a in a, you know i don't know what they're building down by my kids ballet class they're making a metro station right right i don't know you know it's going to be just a big gray box and you go in right. there and you know and then that's your, a great your point. whole outlook on the world changes when when you're surround you know depending on your surroundings. That's a great point. You're absolutely so, right. I do think there is a lot to all that. And but. you and you cared more about your eyes when you saw this very deliberate. Oh yeah, like, I was like, design. this is an exam. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but also I know from him that um, as that the art of that has evolved, it's very computerized now. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, things are Listen. very done all. This is a very weird coincidence because right the day before I left for Comic-Con, I had an eye exam Uh and it had been a little over a year and I was due. And that's usually what what brings me in now is that I realize I'm running out of contacts and they won't give me the subscription until I have the subscription like it's a magazine. They won't (laughs) give me the prescription until I have been checked to make sure that the, you know, it's still the same prescription. Right, because things slowly, my problem with their changing well let me tell you a little story about a thing i'm calling my mutant power (laughs) evan which is number one yes everything is super computerized and i actually took maybe i'll I'll, uh instagram it when this episode comes out i took a picture they did a a glaucoma test where they they take a photograph of your the back of your eye and sort of all around your eye and your optic nerve and stuff and so it's this sort of beautiful it looks like fractal art you know you sort of look at it and you're like that's my eyeball there's a lot of (laughs) rainbow colors that I guess are, you know, color coded. So people smarter than I am about eyeballs know what they, what it all means. It's all, there's a lot of it looks like a, you know, topographical map. Um, It's really, really interesting. But Evan, my eyesight has been improving on its own for the last several years. Benjamin button eyes. Yes. My (laughs) eyes are turning into infant eyes. (laughs) It's crazy. Wow. I was like, how normal is this? And he goes, eh, it's not that common. I mean, he's, you know, he's, it, I guess it happens, but every year for the last four years that I've gotten my exam, my prescription, he gives me a weaker prescription for my well, contact lenses. That makes sense to me from stuff that my dad has explained because, again, I always forget. <laughs> and it has an effect, and I can still read close up. So it's not like one's degenerating and one's improving. I always forget what's, which one's far and near and all that yeah. stuff. But but one of them, it's a matter of your your muscles overcompensating, mm. and if your muscles have been overcompensating and now over time they're relaxing, mm-hmm. then it's pushing it back towards better. Oh, or you know what I mean? So like, I think are you saying that I don't have a superpower? <laughs> a very very minor. Or, that's the other. <laughs> or you have a the tiniest bit of Wolverine. The t- yeah, slight, I'm asking yes. the tiniest yeah, yeah. bit Just of Wolverine. Just really slow. Yeah, so, like so, so. Please don't so gouge when, my eyes out so thinking they'll cuts heal. You and it's like okay. 
I have a healing power, just like Wolverine. Yes. It's going to take about a couple days for this scratch to heal. So true for anyone. I see where you're going with this. I see where you're going with this. No, no, but just like maybe a day ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Not so anyone else would notice, but I'll know that I heal faster. If if you and me got scratched at the same time and we did a check. Yeah. You have I would superpower. be. It's a day earlier. That's right. Yours is gone. I still got a little scar. There. Yeah. Listen, it could be. It could be life saving. A day could be all I need to not get like sepsis. <laughs> you, we could <laughs> both right. be exposed to a vicious bacteria. That's right. One I'm day before all these infections, all because of that one extra day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you agree that I am a mutant with powers. That's <laughs> uh, something I really wanted to put across. It's fun. It, it is really funny though because I thought about that at the time. I was like, how do I tell the world that my eyesight's improving? And <laughs> then I forgot all about it. And then now you're podcasting and your dad's an optometrist. So yes, this really really it. worked out for me. I'm so pleased. Um, uh, did you grow up in the Bay Area? Yes. Whereabouts in uh, the... Berkeley? Oh, gotta love it. Born in Walnut Creek, but uh, we li- we were living in Berkeley. And you were born was... in Walnut Creek before Walnut Creek was even Walnut Creek in the way that people think of it nowadays, which is like a s- pretty serious like suburb that the Bart goes to. That right. is probably a little more of a, I a smaller got community out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, part of I think the story was because. We were uh, with Kaiser, mm-hmm. and the doctor who delivered me, uh, because he could get free surgeries and stuff at Kaiser, uh, at the Oakland Kaiser, he had had a surgery that had gone wrong, uh, and so he has uh, a permanent. He had a permanent like like what his lip would be like up on one side. Yeah, some kind of it should have been a simple thing. My understanding is that it was sort of like, well, let's go to the Walnut Creek one. <laughs> Understand? I, I that like, makes he was sense. A little skittish. No kidding. A surgery so, that had gone wrong. Who wants that? Yeah, and who wants to even think no about good. that? Yeah, and it was a permanent for oh, the rest of his life. No. Well, the way you just described it with your like sort of pushing your finger up, it did make it look like he had a little bit more of a smile. Mm-hmm. Like they well, they joke on one part. side. They jokered part of him. Yes, they, they did. Get, it wasn't a it but wasn't it was an on purpose smile. It was a half finished joker. It was a smirk. It was like a spaghetti western joker, like where the guys don't finish their beard. Uh-huh. You know, they're shaving their beard halfway, and that's when the gunfight happens. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes like, sense. I was going to be full joke. <laughs> this man with no name walked in. Damn it. <laughs> full joker. Uh, I love it. Um, and so uh, growing up in Berkeley, do you feel like you had that? I mean, that's the fun- funny thing I always like touching on with people is that our realities as children are our realities. And so few of us have a sense of what makes them more unusual or less unusual or whatever that even means. But obviously for most of us, when we think about Berkeley, we do think about this kind of special community of hippies who are sort of always now, obviously the kind of violent liberalism that was experienced not so long ago with, you know, people like, burning things <laughs> yeah, uh, that's yeah. not that doesn't feel very berkeley to me the way i like to think no of it, it's but. A, well it's a kind of complicated place i guess and i've i've seen sort of a, a, you know i went to i went to college there too so um i participated in like the uh anti-apartheid protests mm-hmm. and that was inspiring and discouraging at the same time because you'd see all these different things come into play you see right. people being activists and and being righteous and then you also just see the complete idiocy of people that you're trying to agree with yeah and how counterproductive it can be yeah and just just oh boy and um so yeah i had really mixed feelings about that i was really gung-ho with all that 
And, uh, and and then for a while, I was just like, oh, there's nothing anywhere that you can be a part of that doesn't you, get ruined somehow. I understand that. No, it's really hard. It is that sort of, that idea of like even the most kind of noble principles somehow fall into the hands of humans that are, when we yeah. get a little more on our ape side. Yes. <laughs> that we sort of manage to contort stuff enough that you go, like how many times have I said to myself about someone's behavior, eh, don't take my side. Right. <laughs> like, you're not making my opinion look good. Right, right. Even though technically we supposedly have the same opinion. Yeah. I, you know, we're, we're, we're agreeing on some fundamentals and then, you know, there's just so much hypocrisy and it's, you know. Yeah. Um, and then people get very self-righteous about stuff because I, I think that, that inside people there is a desire to, uh, on the one hand, there's something in people that wants to lord it over other people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that can come out in the most obvious ways of literally lording lording it over people, having slaves and other things that people have had. But then the the other versions of it are like that kind of righteousness. It's a way of lording over people to be like, I'm better than you. You're wrong and I'm right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that's like hold hands with contempt, right? It's like, Yeah. yeah, I'm holding you in contempt because I've, I'm sure I figured this out and you haven't. And that's, and, and it doesn't seem like it gets the job done. It's funny. I got, kind of a good way. Berkeley exposed me to, uh, to a sort of, I guess I'd call it bigotry light. <laughs> it's, it's not your, your hardcore, you know, you're not uh, full joker. You're half joker. Yeah. Well, and it's also bigotry about stuff, you know, when, when, you know, you, the big bigotry of course is racism, sexism, those things. Yeah. But, uh, when you, when you see just, the basic assumptions that people can make. And and the thing about, I found, you know, again, I'm going to hear, I'm going to do it right now myself. You know, those people in Berkeley, here's how they are. Here's how they all are. But what happens is, I think when you are, when you are in a community that tries to be uh, elevated and tries to be liberal and understanding, you fall into other presumptions that you are not noticing that you're falling into. Yeah. Um, a couple things can happen. Number one is uh, the 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 group that is that that you are protecting. That you're saying, hey, these people have been screwed over. There's a now none of them can do any wrong ever, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is sort of like, well, no, that's not right either. Yeah. But then there's also things of like I had a, a experience unrelated to political things and mm-hmm. all that, but I just realized, oh, that's weird. Now I see why this happened. Yeah. So my, my very first album was, a, you know, I was in a very bl- bad place in life and I'd been through a bunch of stuff and I had written songs over the years about it. I had friends that had passed away, all this stuff. And it, and it was, and every song I wrote on that record came from all of these places, right? Yeah. And my dad, uh, <laughs> my dad is like, you know, here, I'll check your eyes. Hey, my son does music. Check out this record, <laughs> you know. Oh, boy. So, uh, but one of his oh, patients parents. had uh, listened to the record, and her take on it was that it wasn't honest because it's country songs, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, you can tell he's never, you know, none of that stuff is based on his experience. You know, Johnny Cash, everything he's saying is based on experience. <sighs> Right. But not what, you know, your yeah. son, obviously. Because, again, she's going, oh, son of an optometrist. Right. He can't have been through anything. Right. And it's like, guess what? Johnny Cash didn't, Folsom, he saw, that's not, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so that was like, oh, you completely misjudged that. Yeah. And, again, it's her perception of 
you know, I know what, what people who suffer go right. through. Right. And a son of a optometrist can't go through anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, I totally do. So, uh, so many layers of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, um, and then, of course, the, the big hypocrisy that was just blatant mm-hmm. going to college at, in, in Berkeley was the sexism of like, you've got the, the liberal guys who are super liberal and but when it comes to women, it's still like you're still the dumb jocks that were oh, in my high school. God, I never. That's fascinating. You literally just said that's you're at this protest to pick up chicks. Oh, Go away. We're no. here protesting apartheid, and you're here. Oh, where's the babes at? It's no. like, are you serious? Yeah, like that kind of stuff was yeah. just rampant. Yeah, so I'm just that's oh so god. There's no winning. <laughs> Is that what your high school was like? To, like you were talking about the jocks. So you, what was there the were high jocks school at my, yeah. my? I went to Piedmont High School. So we were living. I, my childhood was in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And Piedmont is more Oakland, yeah. P- Piedmont or is, is a little suburb mm-hmm. in between. It. W- I had never heard of it. So yeah. I was. I had gone through sixth grade, and my parents said we're moving to Piedmont. And I'm going, but I like California. No, no, it's <laughs> just down the 13. It's not uh-huh. far. Um, I didn't realize it because I was so young, but. Um, they had busing. Mm. So mm-hmm. my kindergarten through sixth grade was completely mixed diversity, yeah. racially. Me too. And I didn't really think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Then I get to Piedmont and it's all white people. Oh, interesting. And then, oh, and also when I was in uh, first through third grade, my teachers had both, they were from the South, a uh, black woman and a white woman. Mm-hmm. Both of them had been, they, they had been in marches with Martin Luther King, both wow. these women. Yeah. So we did Martin Luther King's birthday. We saw um, films of him doing speeches, et cetera. And so when I get to Piedmont, we have a unit and they start showing uh, Martin Luther King delivering a speech. And um, I can't remember which one it was precisely, but it's one where a lot of times he'd do a speech and because it came out of the churches, you've got the people around him, he'd make a point and you'd get right on. Oh, yeah, all yeah. All that, that uh, surrounding circumstance mm-hmm. of it. And all anyone did after we saw that was just make fun. And they were making, laughing at it, giggling at it. And that's all, that their whole takeaway of everything they just saw was like, oh. hey, those guys are all going right on after it and just oh, making fun of that. And no. I was just like horrified. No kidding. And... um it was a big, that was, and I'd never heard uh, the word kike. And my older sister was the first one in our family to hear the word kike when we moved to Piedmont. And she pissed this guy off because he called her a kike. And she's like, what's that? And he's like, it's a Jew. And she's like, really? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And she started laughing. He's like, what's so funny? And she's like, that's a really weird word. How yeah. does that I don't, I don't yeah. get the connection to what that means. Yeah. And, and it's just a silly, I guess I don't either. Word. It's not one that you can immediately see the like grotesque, awful entomology of right yeah. away. And uh, and also she was really into Michael Jackson. And um, so they called her a N-word lover. Oh, that's so First time outrageous. we heard that. And this was, of course... And be- this is just, again, to reiterate, <clears throat> so not far from Berkeley and Oakland. 15-minute yeah. drive. It's I wonder if that's part oh, of it, is that because close, they look at Oakland, Oakland and go like, ooh, Oakland, that's full of... Some of them literally thought Oakland's going to come invade them. Oh, like, <laughs> like it's the I Reds. wish I could say that's like past, a but yeah. Seriously. No, it was crazy. It was I'm sure. crazy I'm sure the, their biggest fear was Oakland expanding to include possibly having, you know, black families moving into their neck of the woods. It was very weird. And my understanding, though, uh, years later, um, 
I think it has grown more liberal because I think as you know, well, they, you know, I they went, started yeah. calling it Little Israel. The people that were there oh, were like, oh, funny. it's becoming Little Israel around here. More Jews moved in. More Asian yeah. people moved in. And, like, sounds you know, pretty good. Finally, <laughs> Sounding think, pretty good to me. I think they went from one black person in the school to two. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's slowly getting there. But um, Wait, is, let me the clarify, and this is probably not interesting for anyone but me, but um, is, is there a Piedmont like road that's in Oakland or Berkeley that because it's, I would take I for some reason went to therapy I don't know why I was so far away I'm sure it was a Kaiser thing where they're like this is the only pr- I don't know why but at one point in my early 20s I was going to a therapist and I thought of it as going to a therapist in Piedmont and I'm wondering if I was going to a therapist on Piedmont in a neighborhood they were calling Piedmont it, as if it were its right, own it, thing. It's what I'm thinking of. There's a Piedmont Avenue, which is yeah. actually in Oakland. Yeah. Then there's an Oakland Avenue, which is actually in Piedmont. Oh, that, that, to, to help now, matters. here's the important tangent ah. here. Piedmont Avenue in Oakland is home of Fenton's, the world's greatest ice cream. That is where so, I, that is near where my therapist was. Okay. That so, is, it was near Fenton's for yes. sure. So okay. that's 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 right next to Piedmont. Gotcha. Some people gotcha. think it's part of Piedmont, but technically you're in Oakland there, but it's really, really like, you know, 10 minute on foot to the gotcha. borderline there. Gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, that's very close. And so did you experience, Fentons. did you feel like you, oh, okay, go on, delicious, yes. delicious Fenton's. <laughs> it's only the best. <sighs> um, did you, do you feel like you experienced anti-semitism the way she did by being called that and was it that something that was kind of poking I, around in the shadows or I, I was definitely aware of it and i didn't get it as directly as she did um we both had similar experiences of so she's getting a hard time for liking michael jackson right um and then off the wall comes out and all of a sudden they're playing michael jackson at the rallies right. and everyone's acting like they never said anything to her mm-hmm. and similarly with me i uh i when i moved to piedmont is when i started getting into my punk rock phase do you feel and, like those things are connected at all like it was that that, that something evolved the interest was there and then did it did yes. it evolve through yes. the sort of like how do i not I, look i can't change the color of my skin but i'm feeling shame about this type of person and I'm angry about it and this is a way of expressing like I'm not this. It was yeah. it was a lot of different I felt out of place instantly. Um and it was that was a huge part of it. Also I just got teased and harassed a lot. I was very small. I was always yeah. like the smallest in my class and and just got made fun of a lot and everything. Um so I felt very much like an outcast. And then I made just a few friends, just had a few friends and also uh through other influences before that, I was really into, it's funny, my, my interest in music kind of evolved chronologically. Oh, yeah? I, I would, uh, maybe a little bit out of order. I was really into, of course, being a kid in Berkeley, I was exposed to the Beatles like crazy. Sure. And um, then my music, there was a diversion because me and my older sister had a, an issue. Uh-huh. And that, uh, my parents would always make me do whatever she's doing. Oh, take Evan with you, blah, blah. And to the point where, you know, now I look at it as a parent and go, of course, you're <laughs> destroying her identity. What yes, are you doing? Yes. So she hated me. Oh, yeah. And uh, it also got to the point where she was, she, I basically had to ask her for permission to like certain music. Oh. 
She was I like, Michael Jackson that. is mine. I totally get that. To I feel that. like I had that with friendships. I've said this before on the podcast. Uh, I don't have siblings, but I've, I've, I've brought this up, this idea that some, there's an ownership when you're younger because mm-hmm. of your identity becomes so precious and, and whatever you're building, you're so passionate about, you don't want to share it. Right. And there's a selfishness even that extends beyond siblings, I think, and into friendships to where I was like, uh, yeah, I guess I just felt like I couldn't love that band because my friend loved them and somehow it belonged to them. It's, yeah. And that, so I love that, that yours is a step further where you actually had to be I like, had to ask uh, permission, yeah. uh, denied. Can I, can I, uh, <laughs> can I like queen? Yeah, you can like queen. So I was really into queen. <laughs> so funny. Do you guys laugh about that now? Oh yeah, totally. It's so great. And it, and it pushed us in different, oh. di- and then later, of course, you know, it's, it's almost like we've got pushed in these different directions and then later we can come back and go, mm. well, let me show you that. Let me show you what I found on oh, that side of the mountain. great. Ennio Morricone, check that yeah. out. And you know, cause I was, a, oh, I love it. Uh, being a soundtrack nerd from a young age. That was gold for her. She's like, yeah, have at it. Boring. <laughs> She's listening to Parliament. She was listening to all the cool stuff. She yeah. was like right there with the Parliament Funkadelic, uh, the Silvers, um, yeah. all this yeah. stuff. And I wasn't allowed to listen. Certain yes. things were kind of grandfathered in like Beatles. <laughs> I love this. So the, the yeah. Beatles were just sort of like too late. We've already been yeah. listening to the Beatles. <laughs> so no one gets to say one thing, one thing or the other right. about that. Um but it oh, kind of started going chronologically because, um, and this was a TV influence too. I watched way too much TV. But uh, they used to have like every year there'd be a history of rock and roll kind of documentary mm-hmm, on TV. Mm-hmm. And I, so when I, going back to when I said chronological, I literally I went through a 50s phase and then a 60s phase. Mm-hmm. I didn't really go through a 70s phase because I was in, the, you know, that was all just current to me at the time right, when right. I was little. But um but having gone through the 60s phase, I was into the Beatles on that on the activist level and mm-hmm. Bob Dylan and all that stuff on the activist level. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then my, there was a big moment for me. My parents took me to um, uh, The Deer Hunter. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How old were you? Like 12, just That's pretty 12. young, huh? Yeah, the and by the way, hunter. I reenacted this on my podcast. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I had to, which Amazing. I reenacted some childhood stuff on my podcast and have my kids play me. Oh, I love um, that. But that movie freaked me the fuck yeah. out. But then at the same time, it made me really go, what's the deal with this Vietnam War? And sure. read more about it. And, and then really have an understanding of what the music was saying. And you know, when I listened to Woodstock and all that stuff, it's not just a bunch of tunes. It's, yeah. it's the activism of it and the anti-war thing of it. And so then you move to a place like Piedmont, and on the one hand, oh, and I remember there was this this one girl, Daisy. I remember I'm, I'm there in middle school, and I hear screaming, like hundreds of people screaming, not like in pain, but just like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And I go out, and this girl is in all pink, like... Early, early punk rock, new wave, crazy fucking awesome outfit. Yes. And there's like three stories. This school is like three stories of balcony. And people are all just like, oh my God, look at her. And just like the entire population of a school just trying to shame her. Oh no. It was like, I was just, and I felt like I'm the little guy who get. it's like, yeah. What do you say to yeah. it was it was like being at a Nuremberg rally. Yeah. And what do you do? Go, hey, you're all assholes. Uh-huh. <laughs> every single one of you. And I was just like, and I and I just wanted to, you know, I didn't I didn't know her at all. Yeah. I got to know her later in high school. But um 
I was just like, I wish I could just go, no, you're cool. Fuck all of them. Yeah. And um, that got me so furious. And then someone picked on me again. I'm just like, fuck it. And then so me and this one friend of mine, we just started naturally getting into, you know, Black Flag come out. And Mm -hmm. it's like that just spoke to me hugely. But then it also added because I did get a sense with the 60s stuff, you know, I, I think one of the great victories for the powers that be is that they have painted the 60s to be about hippie dippy kumbaya instead of the activism that it really was. Right. And and even I fell prey to that. It's like, oh, the hippies, they didn't really do anything. It's peace and love. Fuck that. You need to say <laughs> fuck you. And so uh, yeah. so then it started getting into that. Um, and so uh, I was one of probably, I guess, maybe six to eight punk rockers in Piedmont. Yeah. And then I also realized that I was very lucky to be in Piedmont because uh, my friends who I'd left behind in Berkeley... Um, if you were punk rock there, you'd get beat up. Oh, yeah? But in Piedmont, you see, <laughs> they're very isolated. And here's little wimpy me with my, like, crappy version of spiked hair and whatever. Uh-huh. And they wouldn't fight me because I think you could sense there was, like, this fear. Hmm. Like, he's a punk rocker. He could kill us. Uh-huh. No, actually, you could, like, <laughs> look at me the wrong way and you'll snap my neck. Right. But Okay. <laughs> I'll take that. That's fine. Yeah. So I didn't, it was always just kind of, but but I took a ton of crap for like having the torn up shirt that had the clash scrawled on mm-hmm. it. The clash. And <laughs> you're a faggot. And, you know, they'd say that there. I got oh, that God. all the time. And then of Awful. course, year later, two years later, rock at the Casbah. Uh-huh. A- yeah. Anyone want to give me an apology now? Yeah. No, no, no. no okay. One? Strangely all right. silent. Huh. Then Interesting. Back to imagining the end of the movie If with me uh-huh. on the roof of this school. <laughs> Screw all of you people. Uh, were you uh, were you a good student or were you or was part of the kind of fuck the system? Are At we, first, yeah. no. Yeah. At first, it was fuck the system. Yeah. And I was furious and I had a realization where, because I was getting not very good grades, I, there was a bunch of teachers I also didn't like. And also, got to say, Piedmont, again, this weird, what a weird experience going there. Um, I always say that it made me uh, understand Dave Lynch better. Because mm-hmm. if, if you want to, if, you if you've never been to Piedmont or you don't know what I'm talking about, it's just the opening, near opening shot of um, Blue Velvet. Yeah. Where it's the picket fence and the high, and then the camera goes into the ground. With uh-huh. the it's just like, that's it, that's Piedmont. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, uh, yeah, at first I, you know, I wasn't getting great grades and then I'm looking around going, wait a minute, I saw a test from one of these dumb jocks who gave me a hard time all the time, um, who later I would see at a reunion. <laughs> I'll get to that later. Oh my gosh, I can't my, wait. My, I, can't wait. I, I only was able to make it to one reunion. It was so bizarre. I've never been to one. made my life yeah. hell. Please tell me that driving they driving about uh-huh. a bunch of drunk. <laughs> I'm the designated driver. I had no seats in the car because I'm, you know, I have carried drums and stuff yeah. back then. I wasn't expecting anyone to be. Yeah. So these guys are just drunkly oh rolling around. Like, how am I driving all these assholes oh, around? That's so but funny. But it, it was actually great. But um, so then, yeah, I realized I'm getting the same grades as that guy. Right. And I'm supposed to be the smart guy. I'm, I'm all better than them, but I'm not because yeah. you know, no, you know what? I'm going to actually pay attention. Yeah. And all I had, all I had to do to turn turn my grades around was like stop doodling uh-huh. and actually listen to the guy. Yeah. And um, even if I didn't like him, there was one teacher who hated me because, you know, he in- he instantly saw the hair. Mm-hmm. He's was like, like, I get, I got your number, buddy. Punk. Yeah. And um, there was several that were like that. And then another one that was like the opposite. There's my science teacher was just the greatest. Mm-hmm. Um, 
she just saw all of that as for what it was. She really appreciated like, oh, kids these days, look, you know, we had hippies in my day and look at them yeah. doing, you know, and she appreciated it. And um, this guy that I was in a band with, um, perfect, perfect goofus and gallant with the science teachers. One science teacher, he would just sit in the back of the room. He was very cocky about it because he was a fucking genius. Yeah. And he would just sit there and then they'd say, where's your textbook? You don't have your textbook here. I don't see, half the kids in this room don't have their textbook. I don't uh-huh. see why they give me a hard time. <laughs> um, uh, and so the guy got furious. Meanwhile, my other teacher, Mrs. Phillips, I had a conversation. She said, oh, I see what your friend is doing in the, in the back. He's sitting there blatantly reading a book. Uh-huh not listening to a word I'm saying, but I'll tell you something. I know the science fiction writer he's reading and he's very good. And as long as he keeps getting the grades he's getting on oh, the test, nice. I don't care what he does. Nice, nice. <laughs> she yeah. told me like, I see you what you're doing. You're yeah. being cocky. Yeah. But she was like, but he's smart. Clearly, he, and yeah. And he was reading like really Heinlein or something. He, or, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. And, and he was reading, yeah, I don't, the authors, he was, it's like Foundation Trilogy. Oh, that's nothing. Uh-huh. I'm reading this. <laughs> I'm like, okay. He's like, so... <sighs> She respected that, and yeah. she she's like, I'm not, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. My the my school was a um a, a public school, and um, I guess a public but college prep school um put into one. One's called University High School, and that's the college prep one. And then the other one is was just Rincon, and uh, there were some all of my friends that I hung out with when I was like very kind of goth punk were so incredibly smart and they all went to UHS and they were all like at the top of their class at UHS and they were walking in wearing, you know, revolting Cox t-shirts that they were going to (laughs) have that they would be sent home for wearing, but then they would just like still ace the test. There was just a lot of, that's why I asked because I was interested to see if you had that that kind of experience of like, yeah, actually it being, being punk rock actually didn't really affect in the end, you know, whether I was a good student. That was the other thing is, yeah, I, I, there was there were some guys a grade above me, and I was like, I want to be friends with these people. They seem so cool. Yeah. And it turns out they were, uh-huh. and super hyper-intelligent. Yeah. And I feel like that was a big lifesaver. Cause sure. I, I've Because um, then when you get into your uh, partying and all of that stuff, there's a whole other realm of doing that. You're not just, you know, of course you're doing stupid, you're young and dumb and you're doing stupid things, but you're doing it with smarter people Mm -hmm. and so it you don't find yourself doing some of the same you know we didn't have puking parties to see how much we could puke (laughs) like with the job you know right right uh we we just you know yeah no same uh same actually i'll correct that we did eventually do have one of those but Uh we did it because it was for a video shoot and a friend wanted to do a movie (laughs) so he's like i'm gonna make we're doing a song called get wasted and everyone we got to get footage of people there's an artistic value so we are doing this for a purpose we're not doing this just because this is what we do creative content weekend that's amazing Um, oh that reminds me actually when you said the video shoot so uh, i Maybe I'm wrong because I loved soundtracks also. But when I think about soundtracks as a teenager, for me, that just meant, you know, I loved the Pretty in Pink soundtrack or I loved, you know, that meant like, oh, that's how I found out who Simple Minds were or, you know, anything like that. Oh, Cat Stevens and the Harold and Maude soundtrack. Like, I don't and and I would buy. um, I remember I bought the Mission soundtrack was one of the first CDs I bought, uh, which Ah, is Ennio Morricone. Good choice. And and so I have I definitely remember and 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 I did get to the place where you know quickly uh, if a movie was important enough for me and had that sort of like visceral impact that movies 
especially did when I was a teenager more than any other time in my life. Um, I needed to have the soundtrack to be completest, you know, I right. needed to have it so I could sort of feel like I was still in the movie, even if I was just walking down the street with my Walkman on. But all that being said, I don't think that I had a true appreciation for, you know, composing a soundtrack to a film. Like, do you, particularly because of what you do now too, do you feel like you're unusual in that way? Like, where, how young were you and when did you, and, and your understanding of like, oh, this music bed has a tremendous impact on how the scene's oh. making me feel. Like, do you feel like you had an understanding of that on that kind of granular level then? I kind of, well, well, yeah, what happened was the very, uh, well, technically the very first film related purchase I made was Sgt. Pepper. Of course. Because I Brilliant. wanted to, because I, because I was obsessed with Yellow Submarine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's hard to explain to, you know, like my kids, <laughs> uh, when there was no VHS and no DVD, what's a VHS dad? <laughs> never mind. Never mind. Um, <laughs> don't make me go further back uh, than that. This is humiliating. But I remember like seeing a snippet of, Yellow Submarine on TV when it aired one time, and it was one of these local channels that had terrible reception. And I'm watching it, it's going, and it's like, you see the blooming music, oh my God, what is this? And it's haunting. And so um, eventually my dad took me to see it at at the Rialto 4 in Berkeley, which was this little hole in the wall. The guy eventually ended up, I think, owning the Grand Lake Theater and stuff, but he had this wonderful little theater, the Rialto 4, where it it was like four little tiny films. Anyway, so he, I saw Yellow Submarine, and I was just like, holy, blew my mind. So I immediately wanted everything in it. So when I got the yellow, sub- so I got Sergeant Pepper, but I also got the Yellow Submarine soundtrack, which had some of the score tracks on it. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Then um, Rocky came out, and of course, Gonna Fly Now was a big hit, and I wanted that. And so I got, uh, you know, I don't want just the little record; I want the big record. And so I got got that, and I actually listened to the whole thing. And my favorite parts were not Gonna Fly Now. Mm. Um, and so that started it, and then Star Wars was the next thing that made me go, okay, now I'm That's listening really to the Star point. Wars yeah. music and not just the main theme and Cantina Band. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm starting to listen to some of the other stuff. And then the final, like, just putting it over was The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Mm-hmm. And that just made me go, okay, now I'm just looking for, now I'm literally going through the soundtrack section, which back then was all alphabetical. Sure. So you'd literally, you'd, you'd look down yeah, the whole thing and go, you didn't know what you were I'm looking gonna, for, you yeah, would just have to I have browse. to go from A and go all the way to Z. Yes. And I'm looking for anything that this Ennio Morricone guy did. Mm-hmm. Anything, anything. And I remember one of them, <laughs> I'm so dumb. I uh, I pull one, I go, I open it, I look, Il buono, il gato, il cattivo. <laughs> what the hell is that? Well, that's not what I'm looking for. I wanted the good, the bad, and the ugly. Anyway, and I'm <laughs> going through. And, and so sure enough, I started learning some Italian yeah. stuff because I, st- I went back and went, oh my God, that was here. Yeah. And so I ended up like, because I was such a collector, I'd get like multiple pressings because it had a different cover and it was hard to find his stuff. And so I, and then I would just be like, what's this weird movie? I've, you know, sure. And so I, and I used to, I started having a rule of like, I didn't want to get a soundtrack unless I'd seen the movie. And then I soon had to break that because Morricone has hundreds and you can't even, you, you know, where would you even see them? Yeah. So then it became sort of after a while when, when, uh, when more uh, really cool video houses started proliferating, 
um, like I think there's one lay video in San Francisco mm-hmm, and they have yeah. a huge foreign section. Oh yeah. That huge. was my mission was to start matching up the movie with these scores that oh, I had yeah. gotten and start seeing those. Okay. That's... And that turned me on to other directors that I never yeah. would have, uh, like Sergio Corbucci and, and Pasolini and all these other, just other films that I never would have been exposed to. It all came from soundtracks and also classical music. I saw 2001, got that score album mm-hmm. and then I, and I'm listening to it and I'm going, wait, what? This is an excerpt from... This wasn't written for the movie. This right, is somebody's right. modern classical piece. Right. Well, I got to get that whole thing now. Yeah. <laughs> so the the Megidi stuff, that. or Megidi, however you pronounce yeah. his name. Um, so it just started opening up all that kind of thing. So what are your thoughts on, I mean, do you have, are there, I can't, this is, so, I have so many, uh, this has been, by the way, very linear, I think overall. <laughs> yes, we haven't jumped of off to any tangents. Uh, it's almost bittersweet. Um <laughs> Two, okay, these are the two things I have on my mind. Number one, I'm fascinated by the idea of listening to a soundtrack backwards and forwards, so to speak, and then matching the film afterwards, only because I think I've only done that twice, and it's because I was obsessed with the Never Cry Wolf soundtrack, which is... Oh, yeah. And that's Mark Isham. Yeah. And he... The CD of that was sold was it's three of his films that he that he scored. So it's that, remember that the album. Life and Times of Harvey Milk yes. and Mrs. Sofal. And I just had never seen either Life and Times of Harvey Milk or Mrs. Sofal. But I listened to that was that was the the thing I listened to day and night. Uh-huh. I just listened to it all the time. I have so many now I have like this palimpsest of like layered memories uh when a certain thing will play I'll fl- when a certain track from from that album will play I'll think of like five memories at once because wow. it's like oh that trip to Mount Lemon oh when I was in Flagstaff <laughs> crunching through the snow oh when that guy broke up with me oh when and so it all kind of floods which I is one of my favorite things about it and um when I finally saw the movies that the music went along with it was uncomfortable yeah, I was like, these are my special songs. Yeah, what are you doing what, here? Diane Keaton, get out of here, which I've never <laughs> said and never thought I would say about the charming Diane Keaton. So did, did, did any of that, or were you were you so fascinated by the whole process and the, the, the exchange between the two that for you it was kind of an intellectual, like, oh my God, this is so fascinating. I'm, I heard this and now I'm seeing where it fits. Yeah, I liked, I really liked seeing how it got used and, and certain, sometimes, a lot of times, like my favorite tracks on the record would either not be in there or the be way in the background that yeah. was something that i noticed a lot You're yeah like, really this that was awesome even on piece here yeah. of music um one that that kind of happened in reverse is morricone's score to john carpenter's the thing mm-hmm. there's yeah. uh, God, a lot of stuff that didn't end up in the movie Interesting. and um um i think there's one of one of my favorite tracks on that album actually ended up in the hateful eight <laughs> Oh really? Yeah, You're like, listen, we might as well. That's one one issue I have up. with Tarantino. It's not really an issue, but I'm such a soundtrack nerd. I feel that, that the I get song taken belongs, out yeah, all the, the time. The song I'm belongs like, to me in the place that it originated, where I yeah, saw it. There's a part the of me, yeah, that's like it's discombobulating mm-hmm. in that way. But if I if I wasn't a soundtrack nerd, I don't think it would bother me because it would just be a piece of music and I'd be in the story. Yep. But I'm sitting there watching, going, "Oh, Death Rides a Horse. Oh, he's right. using Death Rides a Horse. Okay, right. okay, what was it? What did the guy say? Right. Okay. <laughs> right. Where, where were right. we? So it pulls me out of it sometimes because I recognize it. That makes perfect sense. And then, yeah, my other question was, um, I was just thinking about, I have had soundtracks on the mind too because for some reason, uh, 
like it was a thing where I felt I went down the rabbit hole of like listening to a snippet of something and then that reminding me of the Blade Runner soundtrack and then needing to listen to that and then that reminding me so so it's been on my and so even just down to Comic Con that was really on my mind but were were there thing are there soundtracks that other people laud that it's like oh why is this and but you're like why is this soundtrack popping out for the most people who aren't into soundtracks in a way that others don't like do you find yourself kind of going well i kind of wish that weren't rising to the top it's not that interesting um well i guess i don't know if it's quite like that for me but i will i mean there are certain soundtracks that that uh now this is later this is like that i would notice that they get temp scored a lot Mm -hmm. like the first big one that i was aware of like that was the natural Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so um but it's not always soundtracks. I remember when I first started working doing TV music, I could tell they'd be like, here's the flavor of the year. I'm going to be asked to imitate this guy all year. Oh, I'm sure. I'm going to be asked to imitate that score all I'm year sure. and whatever. So The Natural was actually before, well before I started doing this for a living. Um, but I, uh, it's a good score, but it got tempted into a whole bunch of stuff. And there's yeah. an interview with Randy Newman where apparently his friends would tease him because other scores would like win an Oscar that were clearly imitating. Oh that. yeah. And, and honestly, it's not really the composer's fault at that point. It's like, you're, you're there, you're hired to do a thing and they yeah. temp scored it with that. And you're trying to put your own stamp on it, but they're yeah. like, no, no, get a little closer to the temp, you know, yeah, or you're fired. <laughs> so it's that's like, a really good point. You want to keep your kids in school. Yeah. Uh, change one note. Change, I want it to yeah. sound like this before one and note. The, yeah. It just, yeah. But I think that happened like with 300. I think that we got they, oh, there interesting. was a scandal. I think to the point where I think they actually did a, a, a little apology about the score somewhere on the credits or something. Yeah. There was a lawsuit or whatever. I don't know. It does stink because it's like if you feel like if the filmmaker is smart or that, that I guess, yeah. I mean, if it's a studio, it's a studio and there's nothing that can be done about yeah. that. But you want, you want the soundtrack. I, I guess I'm saying this as a creative person, but I just can't imagine wanting to sound like you're the, yeah. the ideal hope would be I've created this new thing that yeah. if anything that's the pressure is you would think that oh that's, god uh, yeah. what if my thing sounds too much like something else rather than like well one, yes boss I will make this sound as close to this as possible I know it's it makes no sense to me yeah. I had there's one director uh, I worked with who actually said um and he always liked having you know licensing pop songs and a lot of his stuff and and of course when they do that it's always at the moments you would normally have score so like you're really any moment you're like oh god I can really do some stuff with the music here oh no we're gonna throw that song in there also can I just say that's so tricky because you gotta really know what you're doing with that because so often it becomes so maudlin if the lyrics are too much about what's going on like they go out then you're like ew now this is a music video yeah and if they're not enough they don't feel germane enough then you're like why are they playing this now like it is that's dicey for me yeah i I would rather have have orchestration i think that's like tailor made for it and then it's also like your ear can only take in so much so there's a lot of movies that i i get taken out of like am i supposed to be listening to the lyrics right now am i supposed to be listening to your dialogue right now because i'm hearing both at the same time yeah and well, this I is sound so like an old man. I'm Get sure you've had these lawn, conversations all the time, but this is so satisfying but, to me. <laughs> but it does. It drives me nuts. And certain people have nailed doing that. I mean, Martin Scorsese did it masterfully. Stanley Kubrick did it masterfully. I mean, his he, he I mean he stopped using. He, there's a little bits of original composition in his movies, but mm. like after Spartacus, it's mm. like all bets are off. Everything is flown in from right, other stuff, right, right, right. Um, 
So, uh, but you know, when you look at it and it works, it works. What yeah. are you going to do? Well, and his, so some his, people do a great job with it. And then also like his style, his visual style is so commanding and it's so it that like if anyone i mean he's he's probably also balancing it out with the fact that like he's it's arresting do you know what i mean yeah. so you're going to be watching what's happening on screen whether or not you're listening to a song that you know wasn't written for it and it, but not in the same way that you know like a tv show that just has like two teenagers trying to work through their problems right. and so then he's probably gonna get distracted yeah and well the other thing that to me made it work with stanley kubrick movies is i've always felt like the whole tone of all of his movies it's almost like you are looking at it from the point of view you're looking at the story yeah you're not in the, it's not like a John Cassavetes movie where you're like in the living room with the emotion right right you're like a scientist looking look at these strange human beings and their idiocy so you're very distanced it's very now that we know so, as much as we do about autism it makes so much sense like his musical choices make a different kind of sense to me assuming that's me taking the leap that I am accepting what other people have posited which was that he very likely had some form of Asperger's for example uh, and when I think about that now particularly with the clockwork orange soundtrack which i was obsessed with in high school oh yeah me too that the, the sort of the my my uh boyfriend's brother is autistic and um so we have a lot of conversations about this kind of stuff but the the idea of the synthesized beethoven like all of that stuff now and it could be that i'm reverse engineering it because I have ideas now about what that means, but it kind of makes sense to me. And exactly yeah. what you said about sort of put, put, holding it at arm's length a little bit more yeah. and looking at it from that, from that distance is that's really interesting. And I was, that's funny. You shared your session. I, I was really into that score and I I was so excited so when Wendy Carlos released, because again, oh, yeah. she and had Tron, the Tron soundtrack to me oh. is like, that's also like my favorite movie ever. I so. love her stuff so much. So um, special. And uh, there's a bunch of stuff she wrote for The Shining and for Clockwork Orange that didn't make it into the movie. Yeah, but into the movies, and she's she's released them all uh, later. There's um, there's like a two disc set. Oh, of her stuff I, that's, that's not, that. I'm not even. And then there's a version I've of Clockwork Orange that's got everything on it. Oh, that's but great. Um, yeah, that stuff was and and actually and that's you know it's technically original for the movie, even though it's covers basically. Right. But uh, but um, yeah, to for people. Pulling in, so but yeah, when you're looking at it from this sort of antiseptic look at the human race, especially 2001, of course it totally works to be pulling from pre-existing stuff. Yeah. But you're not scoring it at that point, um, so it's it's not really a score. It's not functioning the way a score does. Mm -hmm. It's a different type of way of using music with images to me. Yeah, that makes um, sense. On, on, it's like a collage almost. It is. It's like a collage. Yeah. What, what I used to call it. And it's DJing your movie, Fair. and it's you're not scoring it, you're DJing it. Fair. You're like put this up against it, and mm -hmm. that and I, and I use that term more in a way. Kubrick and Scorsese are not DJing it, right? That's more when people are like, hey, put a cool song in, then they're DJing, right, it. right. Those guys, it's more like a collage, like what you're saying is like they're going because they want the weight, they want that song that they're placing to still have its connotations mm -hmm. and its and what it means. Right. So like in the 2001 the Blue Danube is not just there the juxtaposition of that era. They he wants you picturing the the wigs and the pasty face makeup and right. the whole thing and now you're looking at a space station. Right. So it's a shorthand of going we went through that phase now we got to here. Yeah. So all that stuff is part of it. And and um 
so that's why I, you know I'm my brain is sort of too trained to think of all those connotations. So when I see a movie that's just kind of like oh, and then we'll put a cool song here, I'm like, well, what's what's this song doing for the story? And unfor- unfortunately, the answer half the time is nothing. Oh, so this gets me back to that one director. He says <laughs> he says if, it, it won't sound important if it's not something that people have heard of. <gasps> Whoa, he wanted his movie to sound important idea and, and to me that was it's like to me your movie doesn't sound important if it doesn't have an original score because it doesn't have its own soul yeah if it all just sounds like yeah. other stuff then it's less important as yeah. opposed to like you know star wars is important because it has its own theme yeah so that kind of stuff would you know is, and um it's funny you mentioned you know with big big studio films it bugs me less with them too because it's really become over the years a, a, um, a real thorn in my side when it's like low budget indie filmmakers mm-hmm. and and they fight the process of mm-hmm. like, I used to be so like gung ho with indie filmmaking and just like, yeah, let's do it. We're going to put a show on in the garage. Right. I'll bring the score. You do that and we'll yeah. put our heads together, make a cool thing. And then you get the whole like, well, no, I was thinking, you mean, and you're like, really? really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, you know, how about let's. Do imitate the temp but more. Listen, like, I really? love James Blunt, and I just want him all throughout my movie. <laughs> I want, I want him all throughout my indie movie. Was, with at least with a with a big film company, I respect the fact that they're going. Listen, we're spending forty fucking million dollars <laughs> on this thing, right? And so we don't want to take any chances. Right. So yeah, it'll be safe and whatever, and maybe it won't be risky. And where's your risk taking? Okay, you risk your forty million dollars. Right. We're right putting shit tons of money into this thing and so we're gonna and yeah we're gonna do it cover our assets yeah okay that makes sense but when you're an indie filmmaker and you're just scraping it up together i've had i kind of slowed down on (laughs) doing indie (laughs) films for people because i was always like yeah i'm there we don't have any money that's okay i'm with you yeah and then you're like why am i doing this oh god (laughs) it's like i could go through this and get paid for it oh totally totally i kind of stuck there's a tangent for you oh that's such a fascinating Um, tangent though um yeah in fact i was gonna say um oh i wanted to make sure to ask when you started playing instruments as well uh, because i think we knew we know that you were in a band with some people but when did that start and i started taking piano lessons when my big sister started taking hell you're taking piano lessons have evan take piano (laughs) lessons too so you don't have any identity in yourself as a human being okay so uh, that was probably around third grade Mm -hmm. took piano oh and then uh, i'm gonna sound like an old man again these days they just don't do (laughs) stuff like they used to there was an after-school program. I'd, after school, I'd get on a bus. We'd go about, you know, 10 minutes away. There was a church, and they had this whole after-school program that was all music. Nice. And you would switch. And you'd, you'd take, like, two different classes, and then you'd end up in a choir class where everyone would have to sing together. So I took recorder. I took clarinet. I what took saxophone. What a neat program. And then I also had a piano teacher. Um, our piano teacher was great. And... Uh, he made the mistake of showing me how to improv. Mm. And I say mistake because that made me like, I was like, I want to play the Star Wars theme. Well, let me show you how to figure it. And he showed me how to, oh, if you look at the chords on the top here, and because I'd play stuff by ear. Yeah. And with that, it started frustrating him because it really screwed up my sight reading. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, to this day, I'm not a good sight reader. Because I was, as a kid, I was I'm just terrible. like lazy. And I was like, well, I know how the melody goes in my head and I can just look at this and get the chords. Yeah. So look, I'm I would get castigated it. He's like, for that too. You're not reading it, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, but he would do these, you know, 
most piano teachers will have their kids all do a recital at sure. some point, right? So he would do the recital, would, would go to his, he had a flat that he shared with some people. It was a big flat and you do the recital, but he also would have this jam session. There'd be instruments like all over the place. That is so and it'd be awesome. Like, just pick something up, whatever yeah. it is, just pick it up. I don't know how to play it. Well, just play on it and oh, figure it out. That's great. And so I think that, that made me just look at instruments as a thing not to be afraid of. Sure. Not, you know, you didn't look at it and go, well, I'll, I don't know how to do that. It was like, oh, try it and I see what you can do with it. That. And that really made a huge impact. Oh my God, I love that. And um, one frustration I have is my parents, this is one of those light, you know, the things you wish you could do in life. Um, my parents ran into him uh, a long time ago now, but but not so long enough ago that I wasn't doing what I do now for yeah. a living. And he was like, oh, I feel bad. I don't think I did a good job with him because, you know, I didn't really teach him the basics. Because he ne- he felt he failed me because he never did get me sight reading the way that I should have and all that stuff. And it's like, I wish I was there to go, are you fucking yeah. kidding me? He taught me, you know, the, his the way he made it so I could just play whatever I had yeah, in my. Yeah, that's like he. It's mind. like he gave you the he he opened the door to the soul of what it is to be a musician, yeah. whether or not the technical like math of reading notes. You could do yeah. that anywhere at any time. That yeah. Although I found out you kind of can't later. <laughs> <laughs> so he did fail. I'm trying. Oh, okay, so he did, he did fail. No, got it, got no it, but got I did. It, I did it, try because I did it. go through. You know, I should get better at sight reading, and I'm like, I'm still slow at it, and it's like. I know that if I really worked at it, I could get up to speed. But why but do you like, feel I don't you have should. that kind of time? But like, really what do you feel? But what do you feel you're missing? Is it the is it the bare fact of knowing that about yourself, or do you feel it's holding you back in some real way? I I don't feel well. Certain aspects sometimes I feel it can be well. It's really not because it, it, it yeah, depends so on fuck what. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I've had to make that, the That's just semantics. It's like then it's like feeling like you. Oh, I should have taken that one class right. in college. Like, well, well no, you're not using it. It's one of those you have to be comfortable what kind of animal you are. Of, right. Of, uh, this friend of mine, Ron Suris, is a composer, and he got me comfortable. When I first came down here, I was so like, I'm not classically trained. And then I'd play in bands. I used to play in bands. I was a drummer. And then I started playing in bands here drumming, but it was a whole other level. I was arranging for them, then I'd be the drummer. And I'm not a good enough drummer to play the kind of stuff. Punk rock, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can do that. Right. But... um. And I started feeling really self-conscious. And he's like, well, you're not one of these guys who ever was like, I'm going to be Hal Blaine or somebody right, and just right. sat and practiced every day. Yeah. It's like, okay, you know, you got to just be comfortable with what kind of animal you are. And so the sight reading is part of that too. I'm not the kind of guy who uh, is going to be like, oh, hey, um, we're doing a thing here. Here's a chart. Boom. We're going to play a bunch of these standards. Go play with us. Right. That's not really my bag. Yeah. You know? And it's so, also, and if it were, you would be doing that. I would have done that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so exactly. it's sort of. But sometimes that happens with me, where I've 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 made these decisions and I feel so happy with my choices in my life, and then I see someone else doing something that's just you know, in the peripheral of, of the periphery of what I could have put more time into and right. they seem happy and so for just that afternoon i'm like oh oh i want that right oh i right. should have been that you been doing and then yeah, i yeah. and then i go home and say that and then someone's like but i mean wouldn't you wouldn't you have done that if you really yeah, yeah. do that now yeah, i guess you're right <laughs> well, yeah, that's a really good right. point but yeah. they seem like they were so happy reading that music yes <laughs> you know and it is a thing where um yeah it took me a long time to to not feel self-conscious about that kind of stuff yeah because there's um it's <laughs> I'm stuck on in fact I was gonna reenact this too because I do my I do my own podcast and the t- Oh yeah, when you t- will you tell years. everyone just in case like where they need oh, sure. to be listening I, I, and all that good stuff. And 
And I apologize because I try to do I try to do it regular, but I do it wrong. I don't do the podcast correctly. I produce the fuck out of it, and it takes way too much time. That's not, and that's why there's like the rule, two of them. Though? I know, but I like, know. what's the yeah? You get but that's that's how you want it. That's how you. But do I it. unintentionally made a cliffhanger because I was gonna do. Usually, it's just I do an episode. So I did. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm gonna do an autobiographical thing, and there'll be three episodes in a row: my childhood, and then the sort of young teen to young adulthood leading up to me leaving the Bay Area. And then the third one will be welcome to Tinseltown when I came to LA. Right. right? So that's where I'm stuck. Oh no. And relevant to what we're saying, I'm, I was going to uh, reenact a moment that happened. Um, the very first gig I did out here was a show called comedy product. And um, it was a stand up show, but it evolved. There's a whole other story behind it. What it evolved out of was really, uh, kind of what led to Mr. Show and all that stuff. Laura Milligan had a show here called Tantrum. And and that's part of this episode. Too. I really want to talk about her because people need to know who Laura Milligan is. Yeah. Without her, I don't think the whole alternative comedy scene would be what it was. Right, She's right, like right. one of those people that no one knows. Who, mm-hmm. who the only is, people like I hear talk her. about it are the people that were in that world. Like yeah, Janine and Greg Barrett and like that. You know, there are some people. Right, so I like was in a band Bob with her and, and Greg. Yeah, and amazing. And that's what got me down here. She was doing these shows. She said, we come down and play keyboard for my shows and stuff. And that's what I, I would commute from San Francisco to LA for like a year doing those shows. Amazing. Anyway, so they finally were taking her show in perfect LA style of here's Laura's show. She curated all this stuff. She got all these acts together. So we're going to make a show of it finally. But, you know, can we, let's get Janine's big now. Let's get your friend Janine. They were Classic. very close friends. Classic Tinseltown. And it was almost like, should we even do, you know, and then, but it, they did the, and Janine was like, okay, make sure she's, you know, writer and producer on it and yeah. okay so did it and um so my job was almost nothing i i was a the guy in the keyboard in the background there was a couple sketches people did uh and i played on those and in the meantime it was when they stopped down setting up like ostensibly during a commercial break right then i'd play cheesy organ versions of like a green day song or whatever yep so then afterwards at the rap party um, this is the thing I was gonna, I'm planning on reenacting, so it's a spoiler. I love it. Uh, but this guy comes up to me and starts grilling me. Where did you study? Where were you trained? Where do you summer? <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. And I'm just like, really? And I was still vulnerable enough to let it really get to me. Sure. Like, I really felt like maybe I shouldn't be doing this sure. for a living. I don't think I'm, I don't, I'm not studied enough. I don't yeah. have what it takes. I don't, you know, and it really was, it was kind of brutal at the time. Yeah. Um, and then it was way after the fact, I'm like, really, do I need to really study counterpoint and know all about Beethoven to score the Autumn Breeze Deuce joke jingle that Tom Kenny just did that we wrote? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, Should I really be haunted really by this right now? That? And it's also, I realized, the other thing was, you know, I do listen to a lot of classical music and I have since I was a kid. And so I was also very, uh, the idea of, you know, classical training and i know not to poo poo it at all because holy moly the real deal of classical training is unbelievable and people who have gone through that are amazing musicians but um but again everyone's a different animal though yeah um and and again without some people like that i wouldn't be able to get some of the music i have recorded right because i need those guys to play this right right right? um uh but i also realized What's a music theory class besides 
a very fancy pants version of what me and my friends used to do when we'd sit around and get high and listen to a record and go, dude, check out that bass line. Right. Isn't that awesome? Right. And and let's hear that again. What's yeah. he doing? You're still it's learning. You're still, thing. you're self-educating. If you're if you're doing, a, yeah. Yeah, Except for you're exactly. doing it with much more complicated music. Right. You know, it's, it's one thing to try to pick apart, you know, what Beethoven's doing versus, yeah. you know, Black Sabbath. Yeah. But, you know. But sometimes people go through that whole process and then talk about how they feel like they restricted themselves by not, you know, by being so having such a formal education and then feeling like this sort of the opposite of, I think, what you feel vulnerable about sometimes, which is the sense of like, I'm afraid to break the rules or I'm afraid, right. you know what I There's mean? I, right I can't it. hear it any other way than the way I was taught because yeah. it was so drilled into me. So it's it's like, it could be the grass is always greener too. That, absolutely. Because yeah. that is the big problem is you start, because and, and I was always worried about that. It's like, well, I won't be doing it right. Yeah. And I had to kind of go, there's no right way. Just do it. Absolutely. Do what you think is what you feel. And, I gotta know, say, I think out. that's a amazing, that's amazing advice for uh, our listeners, for me to, I can't believe this. I have now occupied an hour of your life and I haven't even gotten into this mash game. So I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm going to try to get, mash game. I don't mean, I mean, first of all, I love your enthusiasm. <laughs> Second of all, I have a pen that uh, is not working. So I'm going to oh, walk they never over do here. When you need them. I mean, what the heck? I have an entire drawer full of pens in my studio, none of which work. Why do I even still keep them in the drawer? I, like, as if by some miracle, they're going to change yeah, their mind. Today's the day, everybody. We're back we were kidding today's the day yeah thank you for reminding me that i need to just like ugh, throw that we just away. needed you to apologize to, to go us. away yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um okay okay so for the first mash category um i mean listen there are going to be some things that are not in any way surprising to anyone based on the things we've talked about and i'm just going to get the ones that uh are screaming to be done out of the way first the first one is uh three you can there are three days of your life in this future of mm-hmm. yours uh, that that you could imagine a person that you admire scoring that day. So it's a totally original new music. I don't know what that day looks like for you, but three composers that you sort of would like to say like, okay, I want a day in the life of Eben as scored by As scored three. by and mm-hmm. pick three composers. Yeah. Do they need to still be alive? No, not at all. Not okay. at all. Uh Ennio Morricone's Great. number one, obviously. With a bullet. Great. Uh uh, Bernard Herrmann. Okay, great. What is, I don't, what has he scored? I don't, I'm he embarrassed that I don't know, Hitch, but I'd rather Hitchcock ask. Oh, and, great. Um, that's what he's most famous for, but my favorite Bernard Herrmann stuff is all the Ray Harryhausen movies. That oh, okay. Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, Jason and the Argonauts. I, f- I learned something new, is that, that I like Bernard Herrmann and I didn't even yeah. know I liked him. Um, little trivia uh, that somehow Disney comes up on with our circle of friends so much. Yes, yeah. There's a little snippet of the mysterious island music when you go when I don't know it's running not it's not running right now right the Disneyland train the railroad that goes oh, around. Oh, is it? Is it? Star Wars is in the way. Yeah. But when you would go through where the dinosaurs were, yeah, I remember going through there and psh, dun dun. Gong, oh, dun, yeah, like, that's yeah, mysterious yeah. island. That so is a good piece of Disney trivia. Someone. I always like uh, shoehorning in some Disney trivia. I'm very on board for that. And then I'm going to throw in uh, John Carpenter. Great, great, great. I'm so glad. I feel like that is the 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 idea of like a Moog or like synthesi- like synthesizers, like the Stranger Thing, things that are that are new now that we have clearly reached a point at which the place that we are pulling back from is the eighties. But right. I'm really happy about the synthesizer side of that. <laughs> like I remember yeah. what like Bon Iver's album, not whatever the last, not the, this last one, but the one before that. And he just like 
really jammed in with some synthesizer and some sort of like, is this Bruce Hornsby? But like, said that there was some some stuff going wow. on there that I was like, I'm well, I welcome it. I yeah. welcome it. I'm ready for it. Bring it to me. It's yeah, it's it's wild how that's yeah, the stuff comes around. And- oh yeah. Like clothes, why wouldn't you know those other kinds of it's musical? It's going so fast though. Stuff, it's, it but... used to it used to be a actual. Uh, I know we kind of do the thing, but yeah. uh, it used to be sort of orderly. It's yeah. like when we when it was the seventies, we were into the fifties, exactly. and then exactly. in the eighties, we got into the sixties, and we kind of did that. But now it's all like everything it's is real all multi retro, yeah. all at the same time. I blame the internet it's as like, we probably yeah. should and can. Yeah, it's like I couldn't agree it's more. Art Deco seventies kitsch from the fifties. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we're all slowly going crazy yes, or quickly. We're losing our minds. Um, okay, next. Uh, next is you wake up tomorrow with a uh, a practical skill. So it's not like a superpower per se, mm-hmm. um, but the fact that you not have, like healing my eyes. Not like I'm not like my special gift. <laughs> I wouldn't. I'm afraid many people do, can never have that. Um, this is like it can be absurd in the sense of like you wake up tomorrow and you can speak Chinese fluently, but ah. it's not like you can wake up tomorrow and fly. You know what I mean? Right. The three skills would be fun to wake right. up tomorrow and be brilliant at well the language thing is definitely one that i'm constantly like when do i do this i want to speak spanish yeah i absolutely yeah. wish i could just be, speak fluent spanish yeah and i took three years in high school yeah i should have paid better attention it's t- it's really tough when something's not when you're not exercising that language muscle every day it's just yeah. it's really really hard so that would be one spanish is great um i would i would love to let's see I would love to have good construction skills, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. know how to build things. Mm-hmm, same. Um, mechanical skills. Great. Uh, and then the last thing would be, let's see. Well, I, sight reading. Oh, there you go. We could just <laughs> knock that out right If here. I could just do that in a day, well, we yeah, cannot. why not? <laughs> why wouldn't I? Perfect. I'm so see Jane run with my sight reading, yeah. even now. Yeah. What's, I can sort of, I have, I, I mean, I, I took classical guitar and I took piano before that. And um, I really did have to, you know, I had to learn sight reading for classical guitar. But it's also like one, I mean, when you're, this is when I was a child. So it's one note at a time. Yeah. So though, like a very rudimentary memory, but it's almost like it's, I dreamed it. Where I'll look at a scale, I'll look at a scale and I'll look at notes and I'll be like, okay, the note that is hollowed out, <laughs> I know that means something different than the one with the little flag on it. And what's that really? F-A-C, every time. My Counting thing is, every time, yeah. What <laughs> makes me go crazy, you know, with self-loathing and doubt and everything, <laughs> is like, I, of course, I know what all the notes are. Yeah. I know what they all mean. Yes. I know what all the values are. Yeah. But my brain stops when it comes to you put it in front of me. It will not go in my eyes, into the brain, and out my fingers and it's just really to hit specific. the right stuff. It's just really what specific. I found is the closest I've come to being a quick sight reader is with theremin. Mm. And I'll use a chart. And I'm not literally – here's where I'm cheating. I know the melody in my head. Like mm-hmm. I did this with Vivaldi because it, I did a Vivaldi piece. And it has just enough changes where I'm like, well, yeah, it goes up at that one part. Mm-hmm. So I put the chart in front of me. I can follow along. I know where I'm at with the melody. But it's because you but, already know. But I already you know the match melody. Them and so it's a reminder than, of like, here's what, yeah. look, the note's going up yep. there. That's where you go up. But I I'm totally not like. literally hitting those. That process That's how it is, is not with me happening. in singing. If it's something like it's a song I have yeah. to learn quickly. It's like, oh, sure, you can put the notes in front of me. That will right. sort of help me remember like... Oh yes, it is going up. But like really I thought you're doing it was going it by to. Ear, and totally. it's a reminder guiding you along. Hundred percent. And so, so 100%. yeah, that level I can do. But um, and for a while there, I could actually write it way quicker than reading it. Yeah. 
when I was actually That's really taking some music classes and Isn't then I that lost funny? that because I don't do that anymore. Well, listen, I didn't mean to bring us back down. Anyway, you might end up with sight reading, so this could all get solved in a That's moment right. anyway. Um, but, oh, but I'll need my eyes to be healing if I'm going to do that because they're I'll going see what the I can other pass direction. Along. I'll see what, I'll see <laughs> what I can impart upon you. <laughs> um, okay, uh, next category is three places, but let's do fictitious places. So these are uh, places that are impractical places. for you to have a, a vacation home. So that could mean the bottom of the ocean. It could mean Endor. It could mean Middle Earth. Three uh-huh. uh, places that it's not realistic for you to have uh, a, a vacation home in this in this life, in this reality. Okay, well, the first one is uh, an, <laughs> an Arctic uh, science like the John Carpenter's The Thing yes, science yes. place. Great. What? I love that movie so much that I'm willing to have a vacation there, even though clearly I'm going to die. <laughs> but at least it will to be a, cool. To some haunting music. Some <laughs> yes. very badass music and some very slimy, wonderful practical effects. And oh, by the way, this got me really pissed. Did you know that that soundtrack got a Razzie Award? What? Yeah. It was ahead of its time. Well, because everyone, because this is because everyone's so damn tenured and they're not paying attention, all they remember from the movie is the doom, 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 doom. So like, oh, that's easy. It's like, actually, I've actually recreated that track because I did a theremin track where I do Michael Jackson's Thriller on theremin, but in the style of the thing. And so I went and listened to it and you think it's really, the chords are ever changing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not just two, and they're really interesting chords and and there's weird chordal movement in it. And there's polyrhythms going on. The the second rhythm that comes in on top of the doom. No, it's so evocative. It matches how you are supposed to feel about where they are and what is happening so perfectly. And it and that that dissonance, that very elaborate, well, that very deliberate, I should say, dissonance is one of the things that puts you off a little bit. You know what I mean? It because it's not because it should be simple and it's not. So you're sort of off kilter. Brilliant it's brilliant. Track. And when you hear the whole track, how it expands and keeps oh, building yes. on the soundtrack album, it's fucking great. Oh my God, fuck I have so many, I have so much music I need to get. Yeah, fuck you and your Razzies, guys. Except um, for the ones I, I, I worked on a movie that got Razzies that deserved it. But anyway. That's <laughs> oh, oh, yeah? All right, well. <laughs> I shouldn't talk. It got me my studio. Okay. Well, we'll just like, we'll leave that unnamed. Uh, okay. Arctic It'll be Lab. obvious if you look at my credits. There you go. Do a little research. Um, you'll go, oh, that piece of garbage. <laughs> But that was a $40 million piece of garbage. Oh, there you go. Uh, I didn't get that, but, you know, it was enough for me to get my Yeah. Head. All right. Anyway, sorry off that little tangent. No, no, no. I love it. Okay, so, yeah, Arctic Lab. Arctic is Lab. What I, is oh, what yes. I put in is to Arctic remind Lab. myself that it's that universe, but. Uh, I used to always want to be on Jacques Cousteau's Calypso. Yes! So I would like to just sail around if Jacques could be back and if he could narrate my uh, whole experience. I love it. Okay, great. I love evil have the vacation cake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, one more. Uh, uh, tip top of, like, the, I guess, Mount Everest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wouldn't like want to climb like, there or deal like with the air. You snow as much as I do, it sounds like. Yeah, snow is cool. Real I hate into driving it. in it, and I hate... I'm just I into the way it looks there. and sounds. I love I'm being really, there. Yeah. And I don't like going mm-hmm. to the snow. Like when my kids want to, oh, we want to see snow. I'm like, oh no, yeah, I gotta drive. I'm gonna put chains on. Oh, no. <laughs> so and different. once I'm there, it's like this is awesome. I, oh no, yeah, no, yeah. I gotta drive back. We're all gonna, <laughs> oh god. Same, same. The practicals, uh, not not it. the way I feel about it emotionally is very powerful. But um, okay, and then uh, next category. Listen, 
all due respect to your wonderful wife all due respect one element of the mash game is this sort of alternate universe like romantic times I see. and it can be it can be a character from something it can be a character from a book it can be a, an actress from the 20s doesn't have to be grounded in this reality at all but it's just kind of like well i did always have a crush on you know meryl uh, streep circa blah 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 uh-huh. uh three ladies that in this alternate universe is like romantic times okay um First one would be the weirdest, if you could call it a crush, uh, as a. I'm as so excited about this. one whole Whatever aspect of my my youth that we haven't gotten is how incredibly virginal I was. <laughs> there was a Such recent a beautiful way. There, of, there was a poetic a, way of expressing that. <laughs> there was a recent spontaneous episode. I think I can't remember. I think we were rolling when you guys were talking about first kiss or something. Oh yeah, right? yeah. And Paul was like, "Well, I was relatively late, junior in high school." I'm like. I got that beat by a mile. <laughs> Try junior in college. Um, anyway, so during that time, I was completely smitten with Etta Del Orso. I think that's how you pronounce it. She's the singer that one of the singers, but um, one of the main singers that Ennio Morricone would use. So when you would, oh gosh, when you hear so "Once Upon charming. a Time in the West," that soprano voice. Um, actually, that's I just did the wrong score. That's um. That's Duck You Sucker. Okay. All but right. that's the one where uh, no I really, no that's the one where I started that. really losing my mind over her voice. Yeah. The score to Duck yeah. You Sucker. Um, oh my and that's God. That's the melody from it. And so, so I was sweet. just like, oh, I don't know what she looks like and I don't care. Oh, that I That voice love is that. just like, I want to marry yes. that voice. Oh, that's um, amazing. So then, uh, Claudia Cardinale. Okay. Because <laughs> she's gorgeous she's in once upon a time in the west and what solidified it is i'm watching a movie that voice is singing every time you see this woman's oh. face <laughs> this sort of pavlovian so now it's kind of like okay you're well, the bell you salivate yeah claudia cardinelli that's amazing so uh, i love that those are linked that way <laughs> um and then uh let's see uh oh i'd have to go i don't know the character name and let's skip the ending. Yeah. But the character that Diana Rigg played in the James Bond movie where he married her. Oh, amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Without Diana her getting Rigg. shot. Diana Rigg. Of course, if she's with me, she wouldn't get shot Bond. because she wouldn't be with some spy. That's exactly She'd right. She'd be very Sa- bored. Where she belongs. But, you know. <laughs> very safe. Really? Are you just going to stay safe at home again? You're not going to chase anybody? Nothing? <laughs> no. I just going to hang out. Rigg. But hey, at least we won't get shot. Yeah. All right. There you go. You're all set. Oh boy. Um, okay, this is this is one I always include because it's uh, uh, fun for me. Um, I apologize if it's boring to you, but uh, this is uh, three foods uh, that in this world are you're either allergic to or they're just too heavy to eat a lot of, but you wish you could eat a lot of, or rare enough that you're like, oh, that one pizza at blah blah blah. Uh-huh. I wish I could just have that whenever I wanted it. Um, three foods, and then in, in this reality these bad foods for you are actually like nutritious. So you can have them with zero health ramifications. Really? Three. Okay. (laughs) I haven't thought about this kind of thing much at all. Yeah. A black and tan (laughs) with all Swiss milk chocolate ice cream from Fenton's. (laughs) Interesting. You know, you say you haven't thought about it. With all Swiss milk chocolate. (laughs) That's the, if you ever go to Fenton's, I'm just telling you, if you order that, I can't imagine that you would have any smidgen of disappointment okay. in you at all okay great so that's one great uh what else would i uh yeah just ice cream god i would just eat if ice cream was healthy that's all i would eat yeah great 
Um, the next thing, I guess, would be uh, uh, ribs. Great. Great, great, great. Emil Vila's hickory pit of old in Oakland mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was, oh my God, that place was the greatest. Great. So uh, ribs. And then um, I'm trying to eat less fish mm-hmm. as much as I love it yeah. because it all has mercury I in know. it. So Same. let's put fish on the list. Great. And let's enjoy it while we can. I love it. Because I, I, I'm i going to bring the whole podcast We're going to all down. turn into ter- by the T2, time, Terminator 2. By the time my kids are grown up, <laughs> we probably won't have any fish that are not maybe poisoned we'll left to eat. We'll, we'll have to, you know, maybe maybe farm-raised salmon yeah. will still be okay. I don't yeah. know. Well, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers. Okay. Yes. Next category is three... Uh, this is oh oh I have a special this is from uh, my friend Chuck Bryant who does the Stuff You Should Know podcast and he actually has a forthcoming podcast that I'm excited I will be excited to announce when he um, starts releasing it I don't think he has yet but he texted me the other day saying oh, I know this is super nerdy but I just thought of a category I thought of a mash category that I think would be fun and so his category I think we've done something close to it but not actually done it which is three tv families that in this alternate <laughs> universe you get to join that i get to be a part mm-hmm. of the family so it could, yeah and it could just be like you know doesn't have to be some huge well, family it's not all eight is enough clearly well eight is enough boy that would i boy i loved that show when i was a kid but clearly the family from lost in fit space oh yeah can oh I, yeah there I you go then you get out in space billy, too. billy mummy's other brother great 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 <laughs> okay lost in uh, space that's Two one mm-hmm. um Let's see. I'm, uh, you know what? I'm going to go with eight is enough. Great. Now that you mention it, because Great. that really was for me. That show was big to me, and I remember they had their episode about getting drunk. There's an episode where the brother got drunk. Of course, they have to have the get drunk episode. I had just gotten drunk without my parents knowing, and was really hungover, and that was on. I felt really guilty. <laughs> That's what they wanted. It <laughs> was just like That's what the show what wanted. What are they doing? Uh, uh, and um, I'm going to say the Brady Bunch. Great. I'm not ashamed. I, nor should you be. <laughs> nor should you be. I've made a lot of fun with Actually, those Actually, that's, that's been covered with them, the, the new the Brady Bunch movies, now that I think about I it. Really, I really, I think that they really did well. such a great job really great. with those. They did such a great job with those. I talk about those more than I should. I'm always like, have you not seen it? It's so charming. I love it. They're really great. And then when I first came to LA, I was catering with Henriette Mantel. Oh my gosh. Well, there you go. So we had some, there was some couple of fun stories. There, oh, that's those. great. She's fantastic. She's so yeah. great. Hilarious. I love that. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, second to last category is mm-hmm. three. Let's do uh, three movies that you can jump into and be in and be in. You're safe. Nothing's bad's going to happen to you, but you can just live inside that world and oh. just be with those characters and just have that whole feeling of that movie. Three. Okay. I'm glad you said the safe part. So yeah. Then nothing can... bad will happen to you. So you can go as violent <laughs> as you want. So you're not going to get shot. You're not like, going to get a disease. I'm like thinking back all my favorite movies. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say it again. John Carpenter's the thing. Great. You're not I want to hang out with McCready and go, I'm going to be the guy in the room when he's doing the blood test. I'm going, no, let's listen to him. He's right. Yes. Let's not argue with him. Yes. And of course, yes. he'll do my blood and I'll turn into a thing and I'm fucked. But, you know, but I'll be safe because we have this rule. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, the, ne- the next one, uh, I saw both these movies the same day, opening day, best movie going day of my life. So with John Carpenter's The Thing goes Blade Runner. Oh. God, what a day. That was awesome. We saw Blade Runner first. Amazing. Argued our way into the theater. Amazing. <laughs> the guy didn't want Good to let us you. in. <laughs> and we're like, we've seen Dawn of the Dead. Is there anything worse than that? Good for you. And then he let us Oh, you really debate teamed your way in there. Oh, That's yeah. fantastic. Oh, we totally did. Uh, and so I said, John Carpenter's a thing. I mm-hmm. did Blade Runner. Blade Runner, mm-hmm. 
I already did John Carpenter, so I won't do Escape from New York. I will. This is your I'm gonna, game. So I'm going to go ahead and say Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Why wouldn't I? Why not? Get a I want to be in there. the Spaghetti West. In the old Spaghetti West, it. one version of it or another. I love it. That's great. Um, okay, and then final category for you. Let's do... Um, let's do... I, I like this one sometimes. Let's do... You have an extra room in your house that is... is there's no actual physical blueprint that's visible to the naked eye, but there is this sort of special secret door, Harry Potter style, where you can open it up and it serves some purpose uh, in your house. And it can be a practical purpose or it can be a completely fantastical purpose, but uh, three... Okay, first one, when I was a kid, I always wanted a room that was an entire, just wall-to-wall and ceiling aquarium. Great, great. So it's just fish all around you. Um, <laughs> then, next thing, I would love to have a full balls-to-the-wall tiki room. Great, 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 great. Like, basically, like the one at Disneyland. Yes, even just more. transformative. Like, that's yeah. not even tiki enough. <laughs> You're sh- it would shame that like, tiki yeah, like room. That. It's oh, about we really shaming sh- that we tiki room. We could have done a lot more with this. Yeah. Look what he did in there. I wanted like that. Great. Um, let's see. And then uh, let's see. God, that's so fun. That made me think of a new, maybe a new category that could be like uh, a ride in Disneyland that converts into some room in your house. Like whatever <laughs> right, that means to you. Instead of letting you out of the gift shop. Yeah. Oh, you just- I'm in my living room. How nice. <laughs> <laughs> yo ho yo it's time for dinner okay exactly let me just gather up my jewels my treasure uh okay aquarium tiki room uh a super game room great super game room okay pool tables video game like an art mini arcade yeah i love that that's boy these are really great evan mm, kind of kicked this thing's ass um okay and then i'm gonna do that little thing where i just do like the little spiral so just okay. tell me when to stop i uh, stop okay uh, i'm gonna pause it do some quick calculations is maybe a strong word for what i'm about to do <laughs> i'm gonna come back with your 100 guaranteed fictitious future excellent okay all right hope I'm oh no right. no no not at all not at all and 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 so uh just remind us just tell us about your podcast for a second just while oh, yes. we're thinking about it because i know you and i both got on off on a tangent about that okay which you can't do right now oh because i'm already back. recording <laughs> surprise oh okay so uh oh first of all so uh yes i i, I did the, the worst <laughs> tangential non-plug for my podcast uh, it's called fantastical musicorium and um it's the place where i put all of my own music so, because what I do for a living is I cater to other people's needs, and and I love doing it because I'm very lucky that I work on stuff that I like most of the time. As you guys, that spoiler alert: he scored Stand Against Evil season one. Well, I, you know, I was going to say because this is a funny, this is a weird thing. It's like, and because I'm literally after we leave here, that's what I'm working on. Oh, nice. When I walk out of here, oh yeah, and it, and it makes for a weird experience because like I feel like I've seen you all week. Oh. <laughs> Because I've been watching I'm you so all week. And it's a weird, I mean, and then it's probably, it's not creepy. He's like, yeah. when you go to sleep tonight, be, <laughs> I will literally be watching you. Um, and I've had times where like, I, I work on a project and I'm seeing somebody and then I realize I've never met this person. I can't just mm-hmm. walk up and go, hey, there's a, no, right. they don't know you. <laughs> well, welcome to Hollywood though. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, we all sort of think we know some. It's like, did I work with them? Have I just watched them in things? Have I been editing their thing? Have and, I, Cause there's yeah. that familiarity when you, especially I think like editors and people, yeah. you know, cause I'm, oh, yeah. I'm not just watching, I'm, I'm watching scenes that you've done 
more times than you ever even want to see them because I'm having to go back and go, let me get that timed right. It's got to be a good sign that you're still willing to sit down in front of me and talk. No, it's like, it's great. I'm like, oh, now we get to actually have a conversation. And I'm blowing my podcast (sighs) plug again. Okay. Fantastical Musicorium. Fantastical Musicorium is a place where you get to put your own music that's come from your heart. It's not tailored to anyone else's work. It's just coming right from you. And, and in terms of, and I've still wrestled with what exactly the format is, and it kind of has evolved over time. There's only, there's not that many episodes. I think I'm now up to 10. Yeah. 11 is I think sitting you have there a, waiting I, for yeah. me to have time to finish it. <laughs> I un- inadvertently did a total cliffhanger with my three-part autobiographical. Listen, make, make them work for it. <laughs> I, I don't know what that means. Make yeah, people make work, work for, for it, it by wanting it, I so guess. The is best thing to do is subscribe to it because yeah. then you'll just get it, guys. It'll then ju- you then it'll just come checking. magically and yeah. you won't have to check. If you can, or follow it'll me on Twitter because then I'll say something about it. But it's going to be a long time in between episodes. But hopefully they're worth it. And I'm, you know, for what it's worth, I'm putting like all the best stuff of all my records all out there for free it's like That's by the time fantastic. it's done it'll be like everything i've done is just there so it's so amazing um and so anyway hope that's a gift guys you'd be fools not it. to take advantage of it all due respect to you my wonderful listeners <laughs> don't be fools uh okay i'm gonna give you uh these mash results as yes, if it was I a doctor's test results. um uh, i am very pleased with these results i think you will be too <laughs> Some of these things kind of seem like they go together for me. I don't know. So I'm going to try to stitch everything into kind of one um, big story that we're going to tell, which is... Black and tan, uh, black and tan. Please let the you, black and tan be part of it. Please let the black and tan... Go on. <laughs> I'm going to have to rip that bandaid off quick. No, it's all right. Oh, no. First of all, I want to say you, although you love spending time with your eight is enough family, <laughs> it is is a big crowd of people yes so no, sometimes right. you need to just get away yeah and you have a few different ways that you can do that Ooh. um not the least of which i think we both know that the arctic lab that you did receive <laughs> as as uh, as a location as described is inherently a shack so it's not surprising <laughs> that you ended up not with a mansion or apartment or house but with a shack no, with a shack you've got your arctic shack getaway excellent um in 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 the freezing cold because you can step into the thing at will. Right. So not only can you just have it as your vacation home and just sort of be there alone or with Edda de Morceau. <laughs> or Edda del Orso. Yeah. Del Orso. I just wrote, I totally wrote it wrong. Orso. Edda del Orso. I don't know how you pronounce that in Italian. Well, you can ask her yourself because you you are going to be in this Arctic blizzard environment with her beautiful voice. Oh my goodness. Oh, how lovely. With or without other members of the thing, because as I said, you have the also have the ability to go into that movie. Um, you all those dudes are cool by me, right? Every guy in that movie is such a great character, and the do- actor. and all I the dogs that don't characters. eat people are also yes. please huskies. Who could go wrong? Now, if anything goes wrong there, worry not because you are an expert at construction and mechanical items. <laughs> That's perfect. Oh yes, right. You can Comes troubleshoot. Oh, you can yes. troubleshoot with no problem. <laughs> um, and as w- and and say something breaks down and you're having to fix it, rest assured you're going to be accompanied by uh, Bernard Hume uh, Herman. Bernard, Bernard Hume Herman. Uh, who will be scoring this adventure that you have that day. Um, And then, and this is a little weird, but listen, you do also have next to the shack, your extra room inside the shack, but sort of adjacent to it is your room that's an aquarium. (laughs) Where, I mean, listen, I don't know if this is where you're getting it, but you do have an unlimited supply of perfectly healthy fish. (laughs) 
connected. It's so weird how this happened. You have the well, aquarium room and you can eat unlimited healthy fish. The healthy fish is important in that environment because how do I know I'm not eating one of those things? That's true. You've got I'm, your own. Figure, it's like you're in a little space pod. You've got your own like biosphere that you're living right. out of. That and makes sense. Inside. Actually, and for me, but. Uh, when I, I had two, no, I had three little aquariums in my room. I always was really into fish. And I always had the weirdest, I never had normal fish. It was all like weird freshwater flounder. Uh-huh. I couldn't just have a crab. It had to be a fiddler crab with one big <laughs> claw and one little one. So yeah, it makes uh, sense. It'd be all these weird, creepy, yeah. oh, that that's a half dog, half fish thing. Yeah, there you go. floating around there. But it's healthy. Yeah, there you go. So. This is amazing. So good. those are your mash results. Um, this has <laughs> been like such a pleasure. Evan, thank you so much for doing this. Thank the you only for painful thing that's oh. left is your uh, if you would like to do whatever iteration of uh, even just one sentence from Boys of Summer. Oh, yes. That will, um, okay, so I will live up to my own uh, dedication to do that to myself. I, I appreciate that. And I just, I You do don't not, know it. You I were too cool. You were too cool to know it. And I applaud you for that. I salute you. I don't know if it was cool. Just out of touch. And so, re- I was just like, screw all. I'm not, I'm not listening to rock of the 80s. I'm closing that. doors <laughs> to cultural influence that makes me mad for whatever dumb reason. I'm mad at everybody. Me. I like that guy. I like that your voice sounded like that back then. So, <laughs> so um, I will. I guess I'll, I'll read. I'll read it since I don't know the yeah, melody. Just read, yeah, just read a little piece of it in your dramatic interpretation of it. I can see you. Your brown skin shining in the sun. You got that top pulled down and that radio on, baby. (laughs) And I can tell you, my love for you will still be strong. Well, after the boys of summer have gone. (laughs) (laughs) This guy's got to get out of my living room first. How am I going (laughs) to... Some gentle honking. Oh my God. Okay, Evan, thank you so much. This you're very has been uh, such such a blast. Guys, I will talk to you next time on the podcast. Uh, I hope you're having a wonderful summer.
Now leaving Nerdist.com. 